following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. a parables sermon series. Let's go to that. What do you say? Matthew 18, if you would. We're going to be uh, starting in verses, uh, verse 21, working to the end of the chapter. Uh, as you're turning to Matthew 18, some have described Matthew 18 as a practical guide for Christian conduct. Uh, it, it starts with a call to humble ourselves as children before our perfect father And then there's a warning against temptation where Jesus goes so far as to say, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And uh, this is a shocking statement, and it's meant to get our attention and uh, to make sure we know sin is not to be played with, all right? Uh, Most people, most theologians, commentators would say that that was a bit of hyperbole. He didn't literally mean cut your hand off because here's what we know about sin, you could cut your hands and your feet off and gouge out your eyes and your heart will still find a way to sin, right? So, but ultimately, it's, it's, it's a warning about taking temptation and sin seriously, okay? So that's, we got that in Matthew 18. Then we are told not to scorn the lost, those who don't know Jesus, but to see them as lost sheep whom the Father loves and that he wants none of them to perish. So we get some corrective thinking about the way we see those who do not yet follow Jesus And then we were given some uh, very helpful instruction on how to deal with those within the household of faith who are sinning. Uh, What does it say? It says we go to the person in private. This is Jesus' instruction for us. How do we deal with it? We go to the person in private. If they won't listen, we bring in one or two more people to try to help them see their error. If they still won't listen, then church leadership is brought in. If they still won't listen... Uh, to an attempt to show them they're not living as if they belong to Jesus, then the Bible says we treat them as if they don't belong to Jesus. And the whole reason for that is the hope is that it will shake them from their self-destructive stupor so that they can move towards repentance and restoration. That's always the goal. Uh, And and that's God's goal. He just before that said, "I, I will that none should perish, right? And so God is a God of restoration. God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. And I want you to keep that, <clears throat> that instruction uh, that we just kind of worked through there in mind as we work through today's parable, because it, it's pretty helpful as we unpack it to really understand what we're being called to when it comes to this idea of forgiveness, okay? So we're in Matthew 18. As I said, we're going to start in verse 21. Guys, I think I might have told you 23, so if you're not ready for the first two verses, they can just listen and then catch up. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we do give those away for free all the time. You can get one after the service. If you don't have one right now to follow along, we, we will have the verses on the screen. Maybe not the first two, but that's my fault. Okay, verse 21, Matthew 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Can you, can you hear the piety in Peter's voice? He feels like he's really doing something here. And I've probably been too hard on Peter in the past when it comes to these verses because uh, only recently did I realize that the common rabbinical teaching of the day was three times. They actually had a limit. It was like, you know, three strikes and you're out, basically, is what the rabbis were teaching. So Jesus doubled it plus one. Should I, should I forgive even seven times Jesus, right? What does Jesus do? As he often does for Peter, he bursts his bubble for him. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. 
Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Praise God for his word. Amen. So let's come back to the beginning. Uh, We we talked a little bit about Peter's question here and how that kind of opens up this this line of thinking. One one other thing I think is worth saying, uh, the... (laughs) I'm hoping nobody here is this legalistic, but when Jesus says 70 times 7, he doesn't mean you keep a tally sheet with you, and at the 491st offense mark, uh, now you can just lay waste to everybody, right? That's, that's, what he's saying is, we keep forgiving. There is no limit. And if I can just humbly submit to you that if you are offended 490 times, uh, in a day, you could be the issue. <laughs> Probably are the issue. Right? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Amen. I'll leave that alone. Let's keep going. And so the, the major premise of this parable is not too hard to see. This is not one that is real veiled. It's pretty straight and to the point. The overarching idea is this idea of forgiveness and forgiveness that is fueled by being forgiven. And so this is dripping with uh, gospel relevance. Uh, And and so I don't forget to say it later. I want to make sure we say this. Uh, What this is not teaching is that unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. And, and so if you are unwilling to forgive then that, as a Christian, then that means that basically that's, that's blasphemy or, or unforgivable sin, and that, that you're going to be somebody that is trusted in Christ for salvation and, and, and then be given to the torturers, to use the parable's language. Really what it's saying is anybody that's been forgiven like the first guy and actually gets it, is going to forgive. You, you become a being of mercy when you've experienced that kind of mercy. Jesus asked somebody one time, you know, someone was forgiven a lot, someone was forgiven a little, which one loved more? The one that was forgiven much. You've judged rightly. Right? So this is, <clears throat> it's, it's important that we say that and understand that out of the rip. Really what this is, is, is a description of a, a core foundational piece of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you have experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness, you are going to become a person of grace and mercy and forgiveness. That is, that is what we're seeing. Uh, not, not to say there is not great conviction and warning to be had here for us. There is, and we should heed it uh, because the language is serious. Okay, so let's start with this. <clears throat> because this can be a little hard to grab a hold of. What is forgiveness? Okay. And I think Jesus is so brilliant in his parable telling and his analogy making, because there is an element in which the very essence of forgiveness has to do with uh, a debt. Okay. And so I'm going to give you this definition. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is an intentional decision to release the debt of an offense, right? What the king had to do with the first guy that owed, you know, you got 10,000 talents and 100 denarii, okay? So let me just say this. Uh, Ancient currency is hard. We're not totally sure. You'll have some people throw you some really hard numbers on what those are, but here's the bottom line that you can take to the bank. The first guy's number, the 10,000 talents, It was laughable that he was saying what he needed from the king was patience because it's a number that he was not going to pay back no matter how hard he tried or how long he tried. It was a very large sum of money. The hundred denarii, probably a couple months wages. So what it's meant to be is a giant contrast for the point of the, the analogy that Jesus is making. A debt that never could have been repaid and a debt that wasn't that big of a deal and, and, and then we see the two reactions, right? And then the reaction of the king, once he finds out about 
<laughs> how he treats his fellow slave. Okay, so, <clears throat> but this idea, Jesus using this kind of debt picture with the king and then with the, the two slaves and how they're, it really does help us hone into the idea of what forgiveness is about, what granting mercy is about. Because when someone commits an offense against you, it is almost like a debt has been created. And then you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with that. Are you going to hold them to that debt until they repay whatever that means? Or are you willing, some, in order to forgive, you're going to have to absorb that debt. And that's what Jesus did for us, absorbed a great debt, a debt none of us ever could have paid. Okay? I mean, this, this parable is such a it's such a close parallel to the gospel. It's, it's, I mean, it's just staring you in the face and, and hollering at you the whole time. The definition of forgiveness that I'm giving you, though, let me say it one more time, is an intentional decision to release the debt of an offense. And so let me make what I think is an important distinction for us to consider. A decision is not a feeling. You may not feel like forgiving you may still have feelings of anger or hurt. You can still make a decision to forgive. By the power and the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. A decision is not a feeling, and forgiveness is a decision. It's, it's not a feeling. Let me also say this. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation is not always possible. Okay? Uh, I'm going to get into this more. I'm going to try to give you some examples to think through. Some of you won't like what I'm about to say, and I understand that, uh, but we're going to work on it. <clears throat> I've, biblically, repentance, genuine repentance from someone that has committed an infraction against you is not required for you to forgive them. Some of you think it is, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, but for reconciliation, for restoration of relationship, Repentance is a key. And if someone is unwilling to repent, unwilling to admit that they're hurting you, then there may have to be consequences. Okay? And that's, that's why also Jesus is so brilliant. If you see the course of the teaching, the reason why I took the time to explain like the, the order of what we do with someone that's sinning within the household of faith, the end being, if they're unrepentant all the way to the end, we've tried in every way we can to lovingly and gently bring them to a realization that they are heading towards destruction. If they over and over again reject that, then there is a consequence. Does that mean we are in unforgiveness towards them? Like how can, some people that's what they think. Like forgiveness means total restoration of relationship and everything's open and there's full trust and all of that. It, it doesn't mean that. I can walk in forgiveness towards somebody and there still be boundaries particularly if they're not yet in a place of acknowledging their sin. Okay? So that's real important. Um, <clears throat> and, and the structure of the, of the chapter helps us to see. Because if what forgiveness meant was uh, a total erasure of any consequence whatsoever for someone's continued unrepentant sin, then basically Jesus just contradicted himself. We can't do what he taught us to do with those within the household of faith that are sinning, if forgiveness means just a free pass, here, go do whatever you want. That's what mercy means. That's what grace means. That's what forgiveness means. Just, there you go. Yep, hurt yourself, hurt other people, do whatever you want. That's what forgiveness looks like. There's, there's no way that's what it looks like. That's not what it looks like even in the way God grants forgiveness to us, okay? So it's an intentional decision. It's not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences for unrepentant sin. Um, and thankfully Jesus taught us that just a couple verses before we got into this parable, okay? So here's a question that if you're not asking, it would be a good one to ask. <clears throat> How do I know if I've forgiven someone? How, is it just if I say the words, I forgive them? How, how do I know if I've forgiven someone? Because this parable does come in the form of a warning, <laughs> okay? It's, it's not just, hey, wouldn't it be nice if everyone forgave each other? No, no, the unforgiving person is called what? Wicked. It's not like the, the king didn't call the guy back in and say, oh, sweet, sweet servant, I see you're struggling to forgive your friend the debt. Let me pat you on your head. No, after I just forgave you all that, this is how you treat him? That's the tone. So it's not something to just 
gloss over and not, not judge ourselves rightly in, in what's being presented to us, okay? So how do we know if we've forgiven someone? Here's some questions to ask yourself. Can you pray for that person? Genuinely. And have you prayed for that person? Can, and I don't just mean imprecatory prayers that you found in the Psalms about, you know, <laughs> yeah, earthquakes swallowing up. Yeah, Lord, bring fire. <laughs> Lord, unleash the fury upon them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about can you pray for their good? Can you look into your heart and perceive a genuine desire for their good and for the mercy that God has given you freely to be given to them? If, if you can't do that, there's probably still an issue there. It's probably the best litmus test for forgiveness that you can find. Can you genuinely hope for God's mercy and goodness to be given to them as it has been to you? That doesn't mean they get full access to you or uh, that relationship is totally restored. We're talking about what, what is our heart posture towards them. That's, that's what... Is, is really comes down, that's what it really comes down to when we're talking about forgiveness, okay? <clears throat> that's, that's basically the, the big key to assess ourselves on that, all right? And you might say, okay, uh, yep, running myself through that test, and I'm, I'm finding out, you know what, Pro- maybe not. Maybe there's some people I haven't been willing to forgive, okay? So let's talk about some help with forgiveness, all right? Uh, let me start with a couple things that are unhelpful when it comes to this process of walking through forgiveness. Uh, dropping hints and passive-aggressive behavior are immature and unhelpful. Okay, A big part of what oftentimes keeps conflict from being able to be resolved is that people have not done what we talked about just earlier in Matthew 18, which is go... And with an intention of wanting to work the thing out and work towards restoration, say, you have done something wrong and it has hurt me. Plain, direct communication, just like that. Okay? I I appreciate your holy stares. Let's see if we can make this into a a real-life example. Okay? How many of you have ever been in a situation where someone did or said something that hurt your feelings, offended you, or whatever... And you then proceeded to conduct yourself in such a way under the assumption that, well, they should just know what they did. And if, they, and if they're, if they're going to do the right thing, they'll be the one to come and say something. So I'm going to raise my hand, and if you're going to keep your hand down, uh, we'll preach about lying next week, I guess. Is there a par- can we find a parable about lying? There's probably a few, okay? That's unhelpful. That's not how the Bible teaches us to conduct ourselves. And it does, not, it does not pave the way towards forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. You, oftentimes, it's very easy to assume people's motives and to think this looks to them just like it looks to me, or to think, well, they, they know exactly how I'm thinking and feeling and they're just deciding to, what? no, no, no. Passive-aggressive, behavior is immature and unhelpful, okay? So if we're going to, if we're going <clears> to, <throat> you know, because you, you might be saying, look, okay, you're, you're talking about forgiveness. Yes, I see the parable. Yes, that's, that's heavy. I want to respond to that. But, you know, they, they, they haven't even acknowledged that they did wrong. And so my question to you, dear friend, would be, have you told them they did wrong? Because the first step just above in Matthew 18 is, Go to them in private and tell them. And the other reason I'm so thankful Jesus did that, this this is a fun sermon. I wish you guys could see your faces. (laughs) I need a body cam that we can just sometimes switch up to this. I I need a button. That would be awesome. I know the technology exists. We'll talk about it. The other reason I'm so glad Jesus said the first thing you do is go tell them is because that will help you realize a lot of offenses aren't as important as you thought they were. 
Because when you actually have to take the step to go have the conversation, you're going to at least sometimes take a beat and go, okay, is it, is, do I, is it really worth that? Or can I actually just let this go? Is it maybe not as big of a deal as I've made it into? Okay. Um, and of course, that's not always true. There are incredibly hurtful things that sinful people do to each other and that need to be addressed and should be addressed. Uh, and there are certain situations where if safety is a concern, okay, that's, that, that's, <clears throat> that's not specifically said in Matthew 18, but we know with the totality of what the scriptures teach, Jesus is not asking you to go into some situation where you've got an abuser or somebody that's hurting you or, you know, very, crimes. If there's a crime involved, we, we go to the police. Romans 13 says the magistrate can handle that. Okay? The magistrate will come and deal with, with what's going on there. That's why we have civil authorities. Okay? <clears throat> so some nuance there, but, you know, you do have to figure out which bucket that goes in. All right? Uh, Luke 17, verse 3 says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Tell him what's up. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, some of you might know Luke 17, 4, and that might be part of why you would say, look, man, I don't agree with you. I think people, somebody has to repent before I am under any obligation to forgive or before I even can forgive, okay? And and isn't that the way God deals with us? The first thing God requires of us in order for the forgiveness that he provides is repentance. And so why wouldn't that be the model for us? Two things. One, God sits on a throne of perfection and holiness that we do not. A. B, the whole premise in which we can come to God and and have, have ourselves opened up to the possibility of receiving grace by faith is an acknowledgement that we need that. That's why repentance is step one when it comes to receiving forgiveness from God. Okay, because that's how the gospel works. The, the good news of the gospel is predicated on it, it. What has to come before it is the bad news of the gospel, which is a realization on your part and my part that I'm in need of that grace that God is offering. Okay? Uh, that, that requirement is not there when it comes to human-to-human interactions. Best case scenario would always be when someone does something hurtful, they repent. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not good. That is good, and you should quickly be a person of repentance. When you know you've hurt someone's feelings, quit being stubborn and walk in love and repent and be humble. Simple, right? Not so simple, but the Lord's going to help us. And that's, you know, I'm sure I'll say this again, but this, this parable along with every other parable, I get to the end of it and I'm like, man, I need the Holy Spirit's help. <laughs> man. I can't do this on my own, which I think is, is oftentimes the point, okay? One of the points. Uh, so <clears throat> can we only forgive if they repent? I, I, would, I would point you to the cross. As, as who's, so whose image, Love City Church, uh, yell it out, and this is one of those times where I'm setting you up with a softball, whose image are we being conformed into as Christians? What does Romans tell us? Romans 8. Jesus Christ, okay? So if we're going to try to figure out what's the proper way to go about this whole forgiveness thing, I'm going to, who should I look at? Well, I'm going to look at Jesus, my master, okay? And my master uh, was hanging upon the cross, bleeding and dying, and looked down from the cross upon the very ones who had just nailed nails through the most sensitive nerve centers in his body, had whipped him, spat upon him, ripped his beard out, had tortured him in a heinous, almost unimaginably uh, cruel way, and he prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that, so here's my question, Love City Church. Had the soldiers repented yet for what they had done to Jesus when Jesus prayed that prayer? No, they had not. That's our model. Okay? And you may say, okay. But he said, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Well, the the person that hurt me knew what they were doing. 
Okay, let's talk about that. Fair. If you're saying something like that, you're really thinking through this, and I appreciate that you're actually engaged with the Word of God and, and the shaping effect that it should be having on our hearts and minds. Okay? What Jesus meant when he said they don't know what they're doing is not that they were in some kind of drug-induced psychosis or trance. Those guys knew they just nailed a man to a cross, brutally beat him and tortured him. You understand this? These guys weren't asleep. They knew what they were doing to a degree. But what Jesus is saying is, these guys didn't know who they were doing it to, and, on, and some, there was some degree of blindness in their worldview, whatever it was, whether it was, it was, uh, whether it was <clears throat> commitment to Rome or, or whatever, they were blinded by something that allowed them to go through with the act of crucifying a man in that way. They were blind in some way, and that's what Jesus is saying. Father, they, they don't, not they didn't know they just nailed me to a cross and beat me like that and hurled insults at me. Not, not, it's not like they had no knowledge of what they were doing, but there was a blindness that allowed them to get there. And this is true to some degree with every single person that hurts us. Every time we sin, it's to some degree... Even if, I'm talking about even if intentionally you're making a decision, I know this is a sin, I'm going to do it. There is still, the, the Bible talks about the, the, the God little G of this world having a, a blinding and a stupefying effect. The, the, the idea that what leads us into the potential of sin and foolishness and folly is oftentimes compared to blindness. And so whatever someone was able to do to hurt you to some degree, to some degree they don't know what they're doing. Because even if they made a conscious decision, I'm going to do this to hurt this person, there's a blindness. You have to be blind to be able to think like that. You have to be blind to the revelation of the love of God. You have to be blind to the beauty of the mercy of God. Something, you don't see the light in its fullness if you can do that. There's something wrong with you. And the Bible says you're blind. Right? So when we're talking about intentionality, that's... It, that gets a little more complicated than just the way we would normally think about it, all right? So we're talking about help with forgiveness. That's, that's a helpful idea, okay? Because I hope, I'm talking to a group of people in here, that if you're, if you're out somewhere and, and all of a sudden you hear a, a, some click-clack behind you and, and, and then the back of your calf just gets smoked by some blind guy's cane because he's trying to work his way through the crowd you know, a little over-aggressive with the swing and just lights your calf up, okay? I'm hoping I'm talking to a group of people that once you turn, a real, turn around and realize what happened, you're going to have mercy on that guy. You're not grabbing his cane, snapping it over your knee, and, you know, and starting to throw blows. Is that the kind of people I'm talking to? Or we got any people in here beating up the blind guy? Let me see your hand right now if that's you so I can come talk to you after the service. We got way bigger work to do than even where we started today if you're beating up the blind guy because he hit you in the calf, okay? All right. <clears throat> I'm not talking about making excuses for people. I'm talking about thinking the way Jesus thinks about how complex some of this stuff is, Okay? I'm trying to give you ways to, to I'm, I'm, these, we're now in help with forgiveness. We defined forgiveness. We, we talked about how we can know if we've forgiven. And now we're using, we're, we're helping with biblical truth about <clears throat> some ways to actually do that once we realize there's a need for it. Okay. The, the second helper I'm going to, so the first was <clears throat> uh, seeing, seeing things the way Jesus sees it. The second is how to help with forgiveness. To, and this is jumping off of this parable at us. To remember how much you've been forgiven. Okay? Forgiveness and mercy should be fueled by forgiveness and mercy. And we have been... The, the parable plays out, right? We have all been forgiven a debt we never could have. Give us as much time as you want. We never could have paid it back. And so that means any infractions against us are going to be less than that. And so we will never have to forgive more than we've already been forgiven. And that, that well of grace, is the, the forgiveness of God has been infinite towards us. 
And so we're not really drawing from our own self-will and our own kind of power pack of forgiveness. We're drawing from his. We're, we're like, we're, we're less, <clears throat> it's, it's less like we have a forgiveness battery and once we use it all, we're out. It's more like we're, we're a vase and the forgiveness is water and when we pour some out, the Lord pours more in. It's, it's coming from him. It comes from a revelation of how much you've been forgiven. And we see how infuriating it is to the Lord when we can experience that kind of grace and then refuse to give it. The, the language is not ambiguous about how the Lord feels about that. And I think he's totally justified. <clears throat> we do too. Good, I'm glad. <clears throat> Self-righteous pride blocks forgiveness. Part of the issue, if you're a person that struggles to forgive, there is no way self-righteousness is not somehow part of the problem. You are somehow unable to see of how much you've been forgiven. And, and I get it. We've, we've all been there. Somebody does something or says something to you. And it's, we can be so quick to think or sometimes even say, oh, well, I, I, would, I would never do that. So, we, so we, have this, we have this standard that we set based on our sinful tendencies or not. Well, let me help you with something. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't do that. Half the time you're wrong about that and you're lying to yourself. I, Tim Keller's the first one I ever heard say it. I, I don't know if he was the first to come up with the idea, but he said if we all wore a tape recorder around our neck and then it got played in day one of eternity, we, we would, none of us would even live up to our own standard of holiness, much less God's. We're all hypocritical at some level. Okay? So even, but even if you're right about the... Well, I, I, yeah, well, I know I'm, not, I know I'm not perfect, but I would never do that. Don't, can you hear yourself? You, you are absolutely doing this. Now they're down there and I'm up here because I would never do that. Well, let me help you with something. There's something you will do. There's things you have done. And some of us would never do them. There's all kinds of different deceptions in the world. There's all kinds of different ways we fall short of the glory of God. But we all have and we all do. We all have and we all do. So don't use that to justify bitterness. It's a poor argument. Self-righteous pride blocks forgiveness and it blocks salvation. And that could be the problem. That's part of what we're seeing in the parable. If you are someone that is chronically a grudge holder, chronically unwilling to give mercy, chronically unwilling to forgive, there's reason for alarm. You may have never actually experienced the love and grace of God yourself. And self-righteousness would be the thing standing in the way. Self-righteousness is all... Do you understand that self-righteousness... <laughs> is an abomination to the Lord. It's, it's a filth to his nostrils. Do you understand? The, 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 if you want to offend a holy God, stand before him and think you, you should be standing before him on your own merit. Of all the, the ridiculous things we can do as fallen humans, that one is the most disgusting to God. To think, I deserve to stand in the holiness of your presence on my own merits. And that's why repentance and understanding that I'm not, I shouldn't be standing in front of him on my own merits is the first step to receiving the gospel, is the first step <clears throat> to receiving the forgiveness that God provides through Christ and his cross. Self-righteous pride blocks forgiveness and salvation. I made a note to say that I'm trying to give you helpers with forgiveness. 
This, is, this next thing I'm going to say is sometimes helpful. In some of those situations where like crimes have been committed or there's real, there's real danger because somebody's uh, you know, they're an abuser, there's hurt, you know, they're really, really bad things are happening. This, this is less important, but in a lot of stuff underneath, you know, few things in life rise to that level. There's a lot more potential for offense and unforgiveness uh, in, in kind of lesser realms. In those lesser realms, it is really helpful to train yourself to stop assuming people's motives. Okay? Many, many times I've been sitting in conversations with people trying to work on conflict resolution, and what I end up figuring out is one or both people think not only do they, you know, they saw the actions that happened, but they think they have their finger directly on the pulse of the exact motivation that drove the action. And what I would submit to you is that people tend to be more complex than even having just one motivation, first of all. Oftentimes it's more nuanced than that. And secondly, um, if you can perfectly peer into the soul and the heart of other people and have a perfect bead on their full range of motivations for what they did, come see me because I'm going to get a 1-900 number and you can be the next Miss Cleo, all right? We're going to make some money off that. You're not psychic, so quit acting like you are. And some of you get real indignant and real self-righteous and real uppity about, well, I know, I know exactly why they did that. I know exactly what they were thinking when they shot me that look across the room. Are you kidding me, dude? They might have had gas. <laughs> and you've got a whole narrative constructed in your head of what that meant. I mean, come on. And, and it's, all, it's deception, man. The, the devil's out here playing people for fools. Okay? Don't let that happen. Don't just, and, and so what, I, I made that longer. The bottom line is when, when you catch yourself assuming that you understand the, the full motivation behind what somebody's doing, take a bead, man, and, and, and humble yourself. Maybe you understand some of it, but going in and having a conversation, asking some questions and giving them a chance to speak to the thing might be helpful because you might think that look or that comment meant this and it's because of this other thing. I know it's connected to that and that, and that connects to this dot that I know about them and then this other person told me, you know, and then, and then before long, you're the guy with, you know, on the crime show with the red yarn from here to there and you got a whole thing and you made it up <laughs> and the devil helped you make it up. And some of us do that to our spouse sometimes, and we should knock it off. It would help with some things. Okay. So that was a definition of forgiveness. Uh, how do we know if we've forgiven someone? Some helpers, some scriptural helpers for... Um, you might say, well, I don't know if that last one was biblical. The Lord knows the heart of men. The Lord knows. <laughs> not you. That's not you, the Lord. That's not you. Okay. Now, before I say this next thing, I need 100% crowd participation. I don't ask for this often, but it's real important, okay? So I want everyone to take their right hand, put it up like this. I'm not, I'm not going forward until I see all the right hands. Right hand up, okay? Now put it right here on the opposite shoulder, okay? Now take it and go like this down to your opposite hip. I need to see you do that, okay? That was me buckling you up. Because I'm about to offend some people, and I know it. Okay, I'm about to offend your therapist. I'm about to offend your your uh, probably favorite magazine. I'm, I'm about, to, you know, sometimes as a pastor, what you have to do is people have these sacred cows, and sometimes you got to kick them. Okay, so I'm I'm about to kick a cow, and I'm trigger warning. Okay, <laughs> here it is. Forgiving yourself is not as important as you might think. I have more. This is important, okay? Why did I say that? Because, friends, when it comes to so much about kind of mental health and, and well-being and, and what, you know, flourishing as humans, man, I, I hear this language all the time. You've got to forgive yourself. You've got to forgive yourself. 
You gotta forgive yourself. And man, I just, I, I've just combed Genesis to Revelation and I literally can't find the idea anywhere in there. But, okay, <clears throat> trusting in God's forgiveness is really what matters. I'm gonna make a case for that, okay? First of all, flat out, 1 John 1 9, if we can, here's the promise if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, again, so I, I'm, first of all, I'm asking you to be more concerned with God's forgiveness than your own forgiveness because he's the one that can cleanse us. Okay, because you don't just need your conscience to be soothed, you need to be cleansed. Okay? So that's important. <clears throat> the second idea is, <laughs> like, who is you? <laughs> really? Okay. James 4.12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? Judging your neighbor is the context of what this is saying, but I, absolutely the same, the same principle applies. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He's the one that can save or destroy. And what oftentimes we end up doing is setting ourselves up as a higher judge than him when it comes to ourselves. If we could, if we could grab a hold of his perfection as judge, his authority as judge, then it could trump our feelings about whether we feel like we've forgiven ourselves or not. If he's forgiven me, who am I to say anything else about it? If he's forgiven me, then my, my opinion about whether I'm forgiven or not is of much lesser value. If the holy perfect one who sees all things looks at me and says, forgiven, what else is there for me to add to that? <clears throat> now, let's say this. This doesn't mean that we should not judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And so we are called to judge ourselves, and if we would judge ourselves rightly, we'd have less need for the judgment of brothers and sisters in the house helping us with, with that. And we, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole only God can judge me, neck tattoo culture, they don't know what they're saying, man. Brother Steve, I think you talked about this, and it's, it's been on my mind, it's something I've thought about for years, like, you literally don't know what you're talking about. If, that, if you're like running around saying only God can judge me and you think that means something good for you, ooh, you your understanding of who God is and, and, and the, the terribleness of his holiness is lacking, okay? You, you, you need to read about some revelation, Jesus. You, you, you must be imagining precious moments, Jesus, in your grandma's cabinet where it's got the sheep and that's not, you understand, Jesus is not somewhere in the Middle East uh, petting sheep right now. He's, he's, he's on a throne above every other throne. And the Bible says he's got feet like brass, eyes full of fire, and a sword coming out of his mouth. Okay? Again, I think imagery and hyperbole, but it gives you an, it gives you an idea of the orientation of things at this point. Not a suffering Galilean peasant on a cross, but a victorious king and the righteous judge of all things. Rightly so, okay? <clears throat> the problem with forgiving yourself is you are not the highest judge, and, and you may be acting like you are. And, and just acknowledging that, first of all, would be really helpful. It's much more important for you to learn how to receive the forgiveness of God than to do whatever forgiving yourself means. Everyone still got your buckle on? I'm not even done with this point yet. Uh, <clears throat> so that's one problem, is you're acting like the high judge, and you're not. Two, you are not perfect like God in terms of your ability to hold fast onto a judgment. Okay, so what do I mean? 
if you let the eternal perfection of his judgment make you free indeed from the weight of, of shame and guilt, then you won't have to worry about... Because how many of you understand there's a possibility where you could... So say you, you're really trying to work on this forgive yourself paradigm and you, you have a, a, a good day that leads to a good evening and a good, you're in a good headspace. You're like, okay, I fi- I've finally reached the place where I... I do, I forgive myself. And you wake up the next day and hate yourself again. Do you understand how fickle you can be? Do you understand that your, your pronouncement of forgiveness may not stick even, even in your own head and heart? But God doesn't say forgiven and then go, ah, I changed my mind. He's a one and done kind of guy. Not going back on it. You can count on it. That, that's the kind of stability you need to stay out of the condemnation that Satan would like to have you in. And so, let me say this. <laughs> I, don't, don't, leave, don't leave this time in God's word condemned about being condemned, because that would be ironic and really sad. Don't be condemned about being condemned, but rejoice in the fact that you are not the highest authority. Rejoice in that fact. Thank God I am not the highest authority. So glad about that. And the one who is offers full forgiveness freely to you. That is the summary to walk out of here with and to ask for the Spirit to help you work into the way you think and live and and interact with the difficulties of this broken world. Okay? I know that element of forgiving yourself is not really in the parable, but if we're, if we're going to talk about forgiveness broadly, I, I feel like in this cultural moment, that need, needed to be addressed. We need to <clears throat> understand how to think about that biblically, okay? So we've talked about what forgiveness is. We've talked about how to know if we've forgiven someone. We've talked about some practical helps, um, scriptural wisdom, to if, if we're feeling stuck in that, ways to think differently. So let's finish with why forgive. Why should we forgive? Okay? And this won't take long. First off, for the glory of God. And that one's first on purpose. Uh, Let me read you a quote from Mark Twain. Forgiveness is the fragrance that a violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that a violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. And so Mark Twain's kind of flowery in his language. You understand what he's saying? Someone steps on a violet and then steps away. The violet doesn't curse at the heel, doesn't poison the heel. That heel ends up leaving with a, a beautiful fragrance after just crushing the violet. Why did I read you that? <clears throat> Because being people who are quick to forgive is one of the clearest ways, one of the clearest ways we can reflect the love of God and the glory of his gospel to a watching world. There is a fragrance that we as the people of God can release into the world when we are quick to forgive because, friends, it is supernatural. You know, let me be really plain. I'm kind of jokey joke earlier about how much I need the Holy Spirit to do this. I'm not joking. Let me say it very soberly. This is... this. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing that is fueled by supernatural power from the very gospel and grace of Christ himself. True biblical forgiveness is not something we're going to naturally feel like doing. It's not even going to feel right half the time to our natural mind and heart. It's going to feel like we're letting somebody get away with something. But we got got to see that ultimately nobody gets away with anything. Because again, there's a righteous judge. It is not my job to be the the jury, the judge, or the executioner. We, 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 We have someone with the authority to do that job perfectly. My job is to reflect and to pour out from the grace that I had poured out on me. Because that righteous judge, instead of giving me exactly what I deserved, gave me mercy and grace in an amount that I could never count, and thus I should be willing to give that to others. 
So why forgive? For the glory of God. God is glorified when his people walk in supernatural forgiveness and mercy towards one another. And, and even towards those that do not yet believe. The second reason is for the good of others and to slap the devil. For the good of others and to slap the devil. Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride. Mark it down every time. James 3.16, where there is strife, there is every evil work. Why am I talking about strife? Because that's part and parcel of conflict and a lack of forgiveness and a lack of mercy. Strife continuing means that forgiveness and mercy and compassion has not come into the thing yet and done its healing work. And did you hear what James 3.16 says? Where there is strife, there is every evil work. Do you understand that in your life, if you're, if you're somebody given to bitterness, if you're someone given to holding grudges, if you're someone that likes to make, make people pay and really know that you, they've upset you, there's, there's a sense in which, while you maintain that prideful position, you have opened the door to evil and the demonic into your life. It's real serious. Where there is strife, there is every evil work. The Bible says we should, as much as it has to do with us, be at peace with all men. I can't control whether you're going to work towards reconciliation. But I, with the help of God, can control what my heart's going to do. With his help, I can choose to stand in forgiveness, even if you're not ready yet. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let me read you this from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, ridding yourself of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, going to 32. If you need to review what we've talked about today or some kind of summary, maybe some scriptures to memorize, I would submit that to you. It's helpful. Because again, we see the fuel for our forgiveness is the forgiveness we've received. So why forgive? For the glory of God, for the good of others, and to slap the devil. And the last is for our own good. There's a lesser known 20th century theologian. His name is uh, Louis Smeads. And uh, he said this, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free, but you discover the real prisoner was yourself. Why forgive? For God's glory, for the good of others to slap the devil, but also for our own good. God doesn't ask you to do things that are going to hurt you. And I know sometimes it feels like you're losing a position of power when you forgive. Like you're, you're giving up power, you're giving up some position or angle, or, or you're, you're letting someone get away with something and it doesn't feel like that's going to be good for you. But friends, I'm telling you, Louis Smeads is right. When you, when you release the offender, you cut a malignant, a malignant tumor, not a benign tumor, you understand? What is, that? What, what is he pointing to there? He's pointing to the fact that the Bible talks about bitterness like a root that, that grows and gets harder to get out the longer it's left. And it can get to the point where it, that thing will grow and it'll start to wrap you up and it starts to become like a comfy little kitty blanket that you get used to coping through life with that bitterness. And that's replacing all that God is trying to equip you with. God wants you to walk through this life by his power. And sometimes it's bitterness and anger we wear like a cloak. That's the way we cope. Well, how do you know about that? Because I've done it. 
That's how I, that's how I survived my early childhood. Okay, so I, I'm not talking about something that's just a theory. I, I hear y'all. I understand. I see. Okay, I know what that's about. And so I want to break this down into forgiving for our good, and that's both physically and spiritually. Let me just read you a couple things here. Several years ago, researchers from the National Comorbidity Study asked nearly 10,000 U.S. residents, would you say this is true or false? I've held grudges against people for years. Slightly more than 6,500 people responded to the question. Writing in the journal Social Psychiatry and Psychiatric Epidemiology in 2010, Researchers report that those who said they tended to hold grudges reported, so these are people that held grudges, reported higher rates of heart disease and cardiac arrest, elevated blood pressure, stomach ulcers, arthritis, back problems, headaches, and chronic pain than those who didn't share this tendency. It is fairly well-established science at this point that bitterness and unforgiveness has physical ramifications on the body. 2003, a study by Neil Krauss and Christopher Ellison in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion Research, they research the researchers interviewed 1,500 older adults, ages 66 and older, from across the United States, all of whom had considered themselves Christian. Not surprisingly, the findings showed in general that those who tended to practice forgiveness reported greater personal well-being, including lower levels of depression, physical health complaints, as well as higher levels of life satisfaction. But the study's results became far more nuanced when the researchers examined two different kinds of forgiveness. Experts sometimes, I, you know, the Bible's been saying it a long time, but okay, experts have now figured out they distinguish forgiveness that is given unconditionally from forgiveness that is given only when the wrongdoer displays contrition by apologizing or paying compensation. Krauss and Ellison found that unconditional forgiveness was associated with higher levels of well-being, but forgiveness that required the wrongdoer's contrition was actually associated with lower levels of well-being. I am a giant fan of modern science making breakthrough discoveries, and I can go, hello, we had that right here for you, chief. For 2,000 years. But, it, I mean, honestly, it's, it's great. I'm happy when they do a big study and it's like, oh, wow, once again we figured out the Word of God is true. And not just in some kind of ethereal, mystical way, but in really practical ways. We now understand, man, if you hold grudges and you're bitter and you refuse to forgive, it will jack up your body, not just your mind and heart and soul. That's, that's how serious this is, okay? Uh, and that's how right God is. <laughs> he, and it's just another piece of evidence for those of you that maybe sometimes struggle to believe. I know I'm always banging the drum. Look, God's not going to ask you to do something that's going to hurt you. He's always, always, always working for your good. And I know sometimes the dot does not connect between what God is asking and how you can see, like, oh yeah, I can tell that's for my good. But that, we live by faith, not by sight. And so sometimes you're going to have, and, and when you see stuff like this, sometimes it can help you. Like, all right, I still don't see it, but I, I am going to step in faith and, and obey. Because I, I've seen enough of the truth that God is always working for my good. And, and, and he knows stuff I don't. It's a really <clears throat> solid, healthy place to stand. So forgiveness obviously doesn't just affect our physical bodies. There's spiritual ramifications, and then I'm done, Okay. We were made, friends, we were made, designed by God to live in loving fellowship with him and with one another. That's what we were made for, okay? Bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness is just one way that we get deceived into living in a way that we weren't made for. That's a lot of what sin and obedience comes down to. Do you know what you were made for? Or, and are you trying to live in a way that is not in line with how you were designed? Okay? Because when I'm, when I'm lazy on a job site and I don't feel like going to get a hammer and I grab whatever tool and use it as a hammer, most of the time I end up hurt or I break my tool or I mess up the thing I was trying to work on. What's my point? When you use things for things they weren't made for, it, it just doesn't go well. 
ever, okay? And so let me, let me throw this at you by, by way of analogy to try to get this point to sit on us the way it should. <clears throat> I want to know if this would work on you, okay? I'm going to throw you a scenario, a lie of the devil. So let's say the devil, the devil comes along to you. You get a personal visitation. You, you, you know, say you're, you're doing so much for the kingdom of God, he feels like he's got to come deal with you personally, okay? So he's going to come along and try to deceive you. Would this line work on you? Devil shows up and says, man, isn't, isn't breathing so dumb? Like, aren't you tired of the monotony day in and day out of breath in, breath out every couple seconds? Like, ugh, aren't you, aren't you just over it? Breathing is so stupid. Would, would that work on you? Would, would you go, would, would you be able to be convinced, you know what? Breathing is dumb. I'm, I'm done with it. Um, for those that like the answers to the test, I'm hoping you're saying no, that that would not work. And, and here's my point. There is a point. Aren't you glad? As oxygen is to the body, the love of God is to the soul. And harboring resentment and bitterness is like refusing to breathe, and it will always end badly. Harboring bitterness and resentment is like refusing to breathe. You were made to breathe, friend. It will go bad if you don't. God's love for us is so perfect and amazing that all of our words fall short of describing it. And receiving his love and his forgiveness is like breathing in. And loving and forgiving others is like breathing out. And it takes both to live the life that God designed us to live. I don't care how big of a breath you take in. If you don't let it out, it's still going bad. And my prayer is that this would be true among us for his good, or for our good and for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the parable of the wicked servant. God, please forgive us for all of the times that we have been him. Uh, Lord, part of the problem is that our vision of your grace and mercy towards us is oftentimes anemic. It's underdeveloped. We are sometimes unaware or we forget just how big a debt you paid, just how much we have been forgiven. And that translates then into an inability or unwillingness to forgive others. So Lord, please broaden our vision for the beauty of your gospel and not just for the world, but for me. Lord, help me never, ever, not go one minute of any day, not overcome with gratitude for how merciful and compassionate and patient you have been with me. Please help me never lose grip of that. Help me live out of that and, and let, let one of the outworkings of gratitude for your gospel and its effect on me and my eternity and my life right now, may it be that I am a man that is quick to forgive. Please help me, Lord. I want to bring you glory. I want to reflect your gospel into a world that desperately needs to see it by being quick to forgive, by being oriented towards mercy in all things. Please help me, Lord. Please help all of us. Help our hearts. God, I ask by the power of your Spirit to come in and to reveal today any roots of bitterness that have wrapped themselves tightly around our hearts. And even though that extraction may be uncomfortable, I'm asking you, Lord, for, for those that see it and want it, I'm asking you to do what only you can do in their hearts. For those that see it and aren't ready yet to ask you to heal them and help them with that bitterness, I'm asking that you would continue to draw them to the place of believing that they will be better off trusting you. That that bitterness that, that has, has been a, a shield for them, that it is keeping them from real life, from what they're really made for. They've been holding their breath a long time, Lord. Help them be able to let it out and to breathe in even more. I thank you.
for the truth of your word today and the power it alone has to shape us and form us. Thank you. God, help us go from here and obey your word and not be hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.